If I had my way, here's how I'd fix the universe. I'd eliminate the people. I mean, cross them off, get rid of them, destroy them, decimate them. And there'd only be one man left, me, Archibald Beechcroft Esquire. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And we go from a surprise roast to probably a surprise turkey. There, I said it. <laughs> um, yeah, I finally escaped my nightmare of having to restart my modem every night to get a <laughs> decent connection. So we're here. <laughs> yeah, and and we're um, we're back after uh, Shadow Play and going into not Shadow Play. Uh, this is uh, The Mind and the Matter. Uh, season two, episode twenty-seven, uh, air date May twelfth, nineteen sixty-one. Number one film, Underworld USA, which sounds like a canon film ahead of its time. Uh, it's yeah, a or, or like the seventh installment of the Underworld series. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just <laughs> Underworld USA, all vampires now. You know, um, yeah. Uh, so this one, it, the, the, I'll just mention because it it's. Um, it's a crime film, but it actually has Cliff Robertson in it. So I thought that was a nice uh, callback to what we just had recently. So good for him. He was in the number one film shortly after being in the Twilight Zone. Coincidence? No, not a coincidence. I think they're like, hey, we got to see that guy. Maybe he's wearing a top hat. Um, <laughs> probably not. It's, it's a hard crime film set in the 50s. And he's wearing a top hat. I would love it. Um, so things that happened on this day. Um, I, I'm, it's going to get a little dark again. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, first part. Uh, Soviet leader uh, Nikita Khrushchev, Khrushchev quite unexpectedly accepted a suggestion from uh, President Kennedy that they should meet. And then a few weeks later, they actually end up shaking hands on June 3rd. And everybody has seen that photo. So that opened up uh, some, some interesting uh, talks there and some and the way the countries would work. That's not the dark part. The same yeah, day. Say, that's, that sounds good. Countries getting along. <laughs> yeah. Tony Bettenhausen, 44, an American race car driver, uh, was killed at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway while testing a car to be driven uh, for a friend of his in the Indianapolis 500. And here, uh, just here's, here you go. Failure of a 10-cent bolt led to the death of this uh, driver. Um, what was it? The bolt fell off the car's front rod support and permitted the front axle to twist, thereby misaligning the front wheels. Uh, the vehicle veered into a, a retaining wall at 145 miles an hour, climbing over it upside down and tore through an eight-foot high-wire fence, bursting into flames oh. on impact. So, Man. yeah. I mean, I'm glad race car driving got a lot safer since then. Yeah, definitely. Shouldn't <laughs> use 10 cent anything on uh, race cars. <laughs> I mean, back then, 10 cents was like, what, like 35 cents? So I don't know. Like, uh, 
But yeah, I, I just like now mentioning random vehicular deaths on the show. Like, I think that's the new um, uh, racehorse. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, if, there only, if only there was a racehorse involved in this or if somehow this car went out a window, it'd be the perfect story for the well, show. Maybe Hyperion ran across the track and he <laughs> swerved and that's what twisted the front axle. <laughs> maybe. And then Hyperion had a heart attack and died. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> Even no. though he died like a year and a half ago <laughs> on this show time. Uh, and I'm afraid to mention number one song, uh, Runaway Again by Del Shannon. So there we go. Um, nice. So, yeah, there you go. That's your some some possible nice government things and some dude just got annihilated on a racetrack. So that's your day. The day that this episode aired. Yeah. Uh, no helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> no helicopters. All right, so we'll jump into cast and crew here. We have this episode was directed by Buzz Kulik, who we've talked about previously, uh, I guess most recently on 100 Years Over the Over the Rim. I almost said After the Rim. Um, yeah, this won't be his last time. I think he's got four more episodes coming up within the next uh, couple seasons. Yeah. So we'll see Buzz again. Uh, this episode was written by Rod Serling and not based on anything and uh we'll get into that <laughs> um cast we have shelly berm was it shelly berman i cannot read my handwriting right now yep shelly berman who uh he started acting in 1954 and actually just passed away last september in 2017 um he worked for a long time he was a sort of a stand-up comedian um but it, i i guess he realized that he didn't have to tell typical jokes from what his imdb page said and he would just do these weird comedy monologues yeah like so i i I don't really know what that means (laughs) because i stand-up comedy is just kind of a monologue now now it is right like yeah because we we i mean we're and not in a golden age, but I mean, there's certainly maybe it is a golden age, but like a lot we like we as an audience understand that comedy just doesn't have to be you know a beat beat joke you know like this you can go on these weird tangents and just the personality of the person can make things funny right and in this case I think I think he realized that he probably was better at creating almost like one person skits. You know, like he actually accused Bob Newhart of stealing the telephone routine from him. So that kind of explains his kind of bits where he would do, you know, the one-sided conversation. Um, Newhart said that, you know, well, if I took it from him, then he took it from somebody else. He named all these other people. So who knows who created the bit? But Shelley Berman was not a fan of Bob Newhart. Yeah. Um, Just based on the performance in this episode, I'm going to say that Shelley Berman did not invent that. But uh, (laughs) what what do I know? Uh, I don't think he was the problem with this episode. Um, I think I wouldn't have known him to be like, I I guess he's kind of one of those like comedians that like comedians looked up to, you know, in terms of something like he was looked upon finally. And I, I honestly had never heard of the man until this episode. And I've not watched curb your enthusiasm with any type of consistency to, to realize that he was um larry david's father on that show oh is that okay yeah i i think i watched the first season of that but i remember almost nothing because how long has that show been on it, oh, intermittently you know it's what like, yeah yeah so it, it's been a long time so um, but yeah he he worked almost right up until the day he died so good for him like you said, I wasn't too familiar with him, but so he, um, he actually won the first Grammy for a spoken comedy recording, 
1959. Look at this. All right. Yeah. I'm I'm so unimpressed with this episode that I just did not dig deep enough into it. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell this guy you. Guy was a comedic genius. I'm like, yeah, this episode sucks. No reason to look into him. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you how bored I was by rewatching this and what I got into later. But yeah, so it just turns out this is one of those guys that I feel like probably influenced a lot of people, and I didn't yeah. know. You know, and that's and I feel like I not that I have like the biggest knowledge of like comedy from this time, but you like the bigger people you're aware of. Right. Like I me, mean, like your Bob Newhart's Bob Hope's yeah. like all, the, yeah. you know, these guys, you know, Don Rickles, we even talked about briefly, you know, like, yeah, I just Shelly Berman, who clearly was still around doing things and he won. He won an Emmy in 2008 because of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't know who he was. Um. Well, I, I guess maybe that makes me wish he was dealt a better hand with the series. I agree. Completely. But yeah, he was also in uh, Boston Legal <laughs> most recently. So it's cool to see somebody that's uh, on pretty current TV shows, you know. <laughs> like uh, that's your highest praise so far for this episode. You're like, hey, this guy worked on things I saw that was like just within the yeah. past couple years. <laughs> you know. All right, we'll move on from Shelley Berman. We have Jack Greenwich, who plays Henry. He was in Rebel Without a Cause. He was also in Kolchak, the Night Stalker, which I think I've talked about on this uh, the show before. It's a great TV show, great movie series. And this was his only Twilight Zone appearance, along with Shelley Berman's only Twilight Zone appearance yeah. as well. Just want to mention that Jack Greenwich, um, a man that cannot hold on to a liquid to save his life, uh, was no. also in an episode of Small Wonder. And I don't know how many Small Wonder references we're going to get in this series, so... Um, I just, I just I, you know, I, someone had to make that show, right. And someone had to watch it and you know, that it exists, man, that and Boston legal references. <laughs> what a weird episode. I, right. I feel weird about the direction of our show right now. Um, so next up we have Chet Stratton who plays Rogers and, uh, he was in one episode of Hawaiian Eye. uh, a ton of other things that I wasn't too familiar with. And one other episode of the twilight zone. I don't know if you had much for him. Nope. I wrote down Hawaiian Eye on caps because I knew if, if you didn't get to it, I was going to. Yeah. Uh, he had like 160 credits, but just TV background uh, characters. Um, and then lastly, I'll just mention it. We have Robert McCord as the elevator operator. Yeah. And um, I found uh, Jean, uh, Jean Wood, who was the landlady. You just saw her hand. I just okay. did a little bit of looking for her, and she was in a film serial called Canadian Mounties versus the Atomic Invaders. So I just like that name. That sounds incredible. Yep. That's how. Uh, that, for, when, is, when is that from? I, I don't know. I didn't look that hard, but it was a film serial, right? So, I mean, you know, yeah. it had to be like at least probably like. I'd, I'd say 40s or like mid 40s, probably later, earlier. I don't Film serials are weird because 19... they. Did we find 1953. It? Okay, because I was going to say there yeah. were still serials were still kind of a thing. They weren't as popular, but they were still being produced in, into the 50s. I know that. So, yeah, yeah. Huh. That's uh. Th- that looks really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just want to watch might that have to instead? Hunt that down. You just want to watch that and uh, yeah. not talk about this episode? We could do that. It's fine. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> All right. No, no, we need we need to talk about this. We need to give this episode its due. Sure. All right. Whatever whatever that due is. All right. So, so let's uh let's Serling take it away. Uh, 
A brief, if frenetic, introduction to Mr. Archibald Beechcroft, a child of the 20th century, a product of the population explosion, and one of the inheritors of the legacy of progress. Mr. Beechcroft again. This time, act two of his daily battle for survival. And in just a moment, our hero will begin his personal one-man rebellion against the mechanics of his age. And to do so, he will enlist certain aids available only in the Twilight Zone. You know, I could just, when Sterling doesn't have it, he really comes up with a lot of words to kind of explain why he doesn't have it. Yeah, it's, it's always terrifying. <laughs> you're watching that first five minutes of the episode, you're like, oh man, two intro narrations? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah, and the Busy City music uh, popping up again was kind of stressful for me as well. <laughs> yeah, that's why I wrote my notes. I was like, uh-oh, stock upbeat music when we hear in all the comedy episodes. So that's that was worried. So not a good start to the episode. Yeah, so we meet up with, uh, already forgot the character's name, uh, Archibald Beechcroft. Um, how It just rolls off the tongue. How could I forget it? it, it we, yeah, it's like a Mr. <laughs> Beavis, you know, like... Um, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Archibald is a pretty good curmudgeon name. It is. If you had to pick one. Uh, I mean, if, if I were to pick a name for somebody who hated humanity and wanted to basically kill humanity, Archibald isn't a bad name. <laughs> I agree. That That's, that's apt. Yeah. So we meet him. He's on a really busy subway. He's heading to work and we get, like I said, that intro narration right off the bat little break that comes in with part two <laughs> of the narration. Um, then we see him getting on a crowded elevator. He gets to the office. And uh, when he gets in the office, Henry walks by and spills his coffee on him. And it's kind of a last straw for him. And he uh, loses it. And he has to go sit in the bathroom by himself for a little bit. <laughs> I like, uh, so two things. One, like we've talked about our favorite Serling, like, you know, how he shows up into the episode. And like last yeah. week he was in the witness box. Right. And that was great. This one, they just fade cut to him. Like they just fade to him talking. It's like, they couldn't find, they couldn't even bother to find an interesting way to put him in the episode. Like they couldn't have had him in the subway just, with all the full people bumped up against Archibald. They couldn't have had him in the elevator. No, well, I was going to say, wait until the elevator door closed and just pan over to him. Or something, yeah. Like uh, it's not, it's not necessarily going to, it, it's not awe inspiring, but at least it won't be a crossfade. Yeah, and that's all it was, right? <laughs> so it's very, very lackluster. I mean, to credit, minor credit to the episode. It, when you first see Archibald on the subway, that thing is packed so grossly full of people. Like I can't. I'm sure there have been days like that. But this feels like they're getting the point across that this bustling society, this 20th century, that he can't even get an inch to move because there's people all the time. I got that, you know, uh, so I'll give credit. And the elevator was all just stuffed full as well. So you could clearly tell he was an uncomfortable person and a very, very um, uncomfortable world. Yeah. <laughs> so he's sitting in the bathroom and uh, his boss, Mr. Rogers, comes in. And he's questioning him what he's doing in there and that he doesn't look very good. And he's asking him if he drinks or he's staying out at night. Do you have a good diet and everything? He's kind of just laying into him, trying to figure out what's wrong with him. So he finally tells Mr. Rogers why he's so tired and that he's he's tired of de dealing with the busy subway, the busy elevators, the uh, uh, constant noise. 
And he, he has that line that we played at the beginning of the episode talking about wanting to eliminate all people. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I could get away with saying that today <laughs> if I went into work and saying that to my boss. Yeah, it just he he was just very much just like you know if I could I'd get rid of everybody and it's like now you'd end up on a list you know that's that's what yeah would well it, he it was fine when he said he want to get rid of everyone but then he said he used the word eliminate <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I I don't know it it rubs me the wrong way but he just wants to be left alone like eh, previous characters that we've seen on the Twilight Zone it seems like Serling had a weird thing about just wanting to be left alone. <laughs> He wrote, he wrote like at least four screen uh, teleplays now for the, the show. That was a character that just wanted to, that wanted society to just disappear. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, you know, he, he always talked about how he was always uncomfortable in front of the camera, you know? So maybe it's just kind of one of those things where he will do his job and can be personable, but he kind of wants his space and maybe he wasn't getting it all the time and it was bleeding through to his writing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's basically the only idea in this teleplay. <laughs> so he finally leaves, and uh, he goes to lunch. And Henry, the kid that spilled the coffee on him earlier, apologizes and sits down with him at the lunch table and just keeps talking and talking. And he finally pulls a book out called The Mind of the Matter, which the episode is uh, titled after. And he says a friend gave it to him. And it, it's basically telling you if you concentrate hard enough at something, you can make it happen. And his anecdote <laughs> that he gives him <laughs> of the fact that it works is that his friend was shopping and was looking at a bunch of scarves. And there was a woman trying to decide on one. And so he concentrated hard enough and made her buy the chartreuse and orange scarf. So therefore, this book is the truth. <laughs> i um, i just thought like out of all the anecdotes yeah you could give someone is like this book works you can concentrate and make people buy scarves <laughs> right perfect that, i definitely want to read this book now <laughs> I, I wrote in my notes it's like seems like a waste of power if that's like the thing he swears by also <laughs> there's a lot of waste of power <laughs> yeah. in this episode henry henry says that his friend swears by the book but that he says it's the only one in existence so how did he get a copy to give to Archibald when his friend swears by it and it's the only one? Did but he found it in a bookstore. Like there was a confusing line there. Well, um, maybe Henry concentrated hard enough and made his friend disappear. Maybe. Um, I yeah. I just feel like um, also I just want to kind of mention. Does Henry kind of seem a little sweet on Archibald? Like the way he kind of acts towards him. Like it's just now looking back <laughs> at it, it's like you know you know color it how you want, but it's like his performance is a little little odd like being like you know he clearly he's younger at the office and and archibald's a superior but it's like he's saving a seat for him he's buying him a book it's like it's very just like now it almost seems like very um i don't know like more than friends the way he's kind of carry on with archibald uh yeah i, I didn't really catch i didn't really think that when i was watching it but i i can definitely <laughs> thinking back on it see see how you could get that yeah, so, um, but yeah, anyway, so then as Archibald started flipping through the book, uh, Henry then spills another drink uh, all yeah. over the place uh, because clearly that's, for someone that's giving someone a book about concentration, he does not have much, you know, so so there's more spills and then um, and then what was on the way home, Archibald's like trying to read the book in the subway and he's like being bothered by it uh, and I, I wrote here, 
I think the secret story of this episode is how subways are hell tunnels. Because I feel like anytime you saw him around people, he despised the subway. And then he's just sitting at home, cuts to him reading the book, and he convinces himself, yeah, this is like this is the ultimate power. Like just you gotta believe it. You gotta concentrate. Like, why don't people do this? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So it, he looks out his window and there's uh, there's kind of sounds outside and everything. He shuts it and disgusted. And at that point there's a knock on the door. And uh I forget the actress's name we just said. Oh she But she's knocking, yeah. she's saying she's saying rent is due. So he starts concentrating and she disappears. So, so he thinks. He's, he's kind of baffled by it and looks outside and no one is there. Yeah. That's my point is like, he thinks she disappeared. Like you see as the audience, you see the hand slowly fade away. He doesn't know that for sure. So his whole hypothesis of, I wished her away, you know, maybe she got disgusted immediately and walked away. He doesn't know, but he just assumes he now has the power to think away people because of one, you know, unverified test. And that I know I'm overthinking the episode, but I was like, that's a weird one way. scarf. What? <laughs> <laughs> he was convinced by one orange and chartreuse scarf. That, fair and enough. yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, I mean, what if she just was standing there for a second or what if she was talking to someone for a moment? Yeah, but, but anyway. I, I don't know. But she disappeared. So whatever. She's gone. We cut to commercial commercial break and we come back. and It's the next day and he's back in the busy subway again and he's looking down the steps going into the subway and he decides, hey, let's try and use this power again. So he he concentrates that all the people vanish and sure enough, they do. And the music stops. The sound stops and he slowly meanders down to the subway and I think meander is the perfect term for the rest of this episode. <laughs> he he walks down and uh, the the subway train pulls up and he gets in. And at this point, I wrote, if all of the people are gone, who's operating anything that he's using? Yeah, that 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 problem gets more pronounced as you go on with, with yeah. him doing that. I did like as he walked down to the subway turnstile, he went to go to use it and it wouldn't move. And he just kind of like wiggles his fingers and he just walks through. Like I thought that was kind of a nice little beat of just like, nah, that's not going to work. And he just like walks to the turnstile and then like him, him like smugly getting on like the train. Like again, I'm, I, you know, I don't think his performance is bad. Like Shelly Berman definitely knew what was like what he was supposed to do and he kind of suddenly he's this guy that now has everything he wants or so he thinks right so i liked that um his performance didn't grade on me as much the second time through um no but- i mean it's it's no um oh what was the what was the last comedy episode we did uh, well, the one that you're going to remember is the, um, the 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 truth one, right? Uh, nothing but the truth with the car sales. Yeah, thing, nothing you know? but the truth and everything. There's there's no characters that are just annoying throughout this episode, and he's fine. I just was really unimpressed with it. Yeah, I just it, every time comedy pops up on Twilight Zone, I, I guess I shouldn't say every time, but most of the time, it just feels so out of place that I can never fully get behind it. That's fair. Um, I, I I will keep defending uh, the season one episode, The Chaser. But then again, that was one not written by Serling, and so um, it just makes me wonder about Serling's capacity for writing comedy in this type of venue. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think we've talked about that the last time a comedy episode. <laughs> I'm did sure not work. <laughs> I'm sure the next one that shows up, we'll talk about it again. Too. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So he ends up going to work and. 
There's still no one there. There's an empty elevator, empty office. It looks down. The streets below are empty. Um, and it, it really made me question, why did he even go to work? Yeah, he works at an insurance agency. If there's no more people, there's nothing to be insured. But he sits down and starts going like through his daily paperwork. I mean, I don't understand like why, you know, like whatever. Yeah. But there's a nice little bit where the clock is making this kind of it's not not necessarily like a ticking, but just the sound that those old school and office clocks made as the gears turned. Yeah. Um, and he looks up at it and stops that and everything. Yeah. He's like, there'll be enough of that. It just and it stops. And I thought that. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, so that was fine. He, I like how he was making a paper airplane at his desk, though, which that is at the point I was like, why even go to work? Like, <laughs> it's not like you're getting your work done. You're just sitting there doing other things. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, at that point, his reflection in his glasses starts speaking to him and asks him, "Is this too much of a good thing?" Yeah, I mean that's. It. It's the same conceit that we had in a nervous man in a four dollar room, you know, where you had the actor play against himself, and you know, and it's it's fine, I guess. Like I kind of like that the glasses had the reflection, and then the one thing behind him that showed like a graph had it as well, like, and it was kind of like nod at him, like this his, you know, his his subconscious being like, you know, uh, like basically saying, are you are you actually you seem bored now within like hours? Now what are you going to do? Yeah, um, the stuff of him playing against himself, I did not think he did as good a job as uh, was it Joe Mantel, uh, who plays the character in that one. Um, I don't think he did as good as a job playing against himself during this episode. Yeah, but it it was okay. Um, so yeah, he's really bored and everything, and I wasn't a big fan either of the voice the way it sounds his reflection Mm -hmm. it sounds like it's coming through a phone and (laughs) there are multiple lines that i had to keep rewinding because i just could not understand Uh, through my speakers enthralled by the dialogue so you had to keep going back and hearing them over and over no (laughs) no because he's talking and he's like yeah you're bored you know why don't you think of the alternative to this like there's got to be something he's like no i'm content but then there's a line that his reflection says, what about the thing that's going to happen to you in the after? Yeah. I don't know. And I, I thought that that was going to end up playing a little bit, uh, bigger role. Cause I couldn't not understand what he was saying. I rewound it, turned the subtitles on like four times. And I was like, man, that's, that's going to end up being important, but it, it really doesn't. Yeah. It, it serves no purpose to the episode. Yeah. That, that's that yeah you're right like i thought i honestly thought like whenever he wished away or concentrated away the landlady um like the second time through watch this i was like wouldn't it have been way more interesting if he would have convinced himself that there's nobody else around but you 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 find out that he's still in this world full of people but he's mentally just shielded out everybody and he's not content because yeah. he doesn't see anybody and that to me is way more interesting than this godlike power he had yeah, well, that's what I thought was going to happen. Uh, spoiler alert for my my <laughs> thoughts on this episode. Um, I I really thought that that was going to happen. I was I was excited for the reveal, but then what ultimately? I I mean we're we're talking about what's happening in this episode. He has the power to just get rid of anything or anything at any time he wants, yeah. or make it appear whatever. Like there's 
no problems in this episode. Like he can just wish for everything to be fine at any time. Yeah. Like there it's, there's no issues. There's no danger. There's no, uh, there's no problem to this episode. And a lot of what you're talking about here is like the last five, six minutes of the episode. Like we got to through two thirds of it with nothing really happening, you know? Yeah. And, and nothing really happens from this point. Yeah. Going on. Um, so he's, he's talking to his reflection and he realizes, yeah, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I am kind of bored. I just need a diversion. So first thing he asked for is an earthquake, <laughs> which I was like, why, why would you ask for an earthquake? Like you already know that this power works. You were alone. Why would you ask for an earthquake? So as soon as it starts, he, he says no. Then he asked for an electrical storm. And then as soon as that starts, he says no. I'm just what a waste of power. Like, what are you doing? It's like when you play, like, Sim you can City. literally concentrate anything in or out of existence. Yeah. And just... you're asking for like natural yeah. <laughs> catastrophes. I don't know. I was just like saying, it's it, so weird. It's just like when you're playing Sim City and your city's going along really, really well. And you're like, it'd be fun if I just set half of the city on fire. It's like, no, you're just creating more work for yourself, but you're bored with your yeah. finally fu- fine functioning city, you know? So, it was weird. I don't know, but he gets bored so fast in this. Yeah. Do you know how many things I could think of? Like, first of all, I'd be terrified if I wished all the people away. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I would come up with something to do. Yeah. Like, there's so much. How how many places have you been? You're like, man, this would be awesome if I could just come in here alone. Yeah. And just run around. Like, I would just, I would be in Walmart. Mart just like shoving like <laughs> displays and aisles over just like thrown on it you know it, i'd go to like gun stores and just start shooting guns <laughs> like there's so many things you can do i don't know yeah. i don't know why those are the walmart and guns are the first two <laughs> things i go to but <laughs> i just mean like like go go cause some chaos you're by yourself like i don't know it just frustrated me oh what's the uh, last man on earth <laughs> that uh i'm sorry no that's great i love it <laughs> i like that you're, you're like your default is walmart and guns that's perfect um it was that the will um forte last man on earth show on fox the first couple yeah, episodes he goes there yeah for sure just with the, like the margarita <laughs> the pool, pool and everything yeah. it's good that's great that's exactly what you would do yeah and just he drove around an rv and was like oh that's michael george jersey mine oh that's a dinosaur <laughs> skull mine all this 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 door won't open i have a gun like that's all it was all it was you know so yeah for for archibald which i to, another thing i'll say i i liked the sudden because the transitions of the earthquake and the storm that was all in one take so i liked that they got that all in, in front of the camera and have him yeah, that was, front that was center cool. it was a nice yeah. effect it was a useless point though but it was a nice effect yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, it just made me mad. All me the too. things you could do. Like, you could literally do anything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he asked for an earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so then after that, he he finally occurs, occurs to him that, you know what? Well, actually, he, he goes home after riding the subway that operates by itself. He goes up yeah. to a, a poster of like, you know, a romance poster or something, and he pulls out a pencil to draw a mustache on the woman, and he's kind of looking around to see if he'll get caught, and then he realizes there's no one to catch him, so it's like there's suddenly no joy in drawing mustaches on things, and I would agree with that. Like, there's no joy in adding a mustache something knowing that no one would ever see it and disapprove of it. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so he goes home and the reflections, uh, he's looking in the reflection, waiting for it to speak to him. And he's kind of mirroring himself. And eventually it, he finally waves his finger at him. That was kind of funny. Um, but he asked him, like, why don't you get a dog or a pet or something if you need a companion? But you still hate people. So he finally comes up with the solution that if he makes the whole world him, it'll be easier to deal with. So he says, everyone I see will be like me. So the next the next scene, we see him going back to the subway and people are walking around him all with their heads down and everything. And he gets to work and he goes to the newsstand and the guy working the newsstand is now him. He goes in the elevator and all of the people in the elevator slowly you realize that they're all him. Um, and yeah, some of them are when they're showing different shots is him in a different costume. But the rest of the extras in the episode are wearing these terrifying prosthetics, <laughs> these masks uh, that look like him if they cut his face off and laid it over theirs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it reminded me of in devil's rejects um, when Bill Mosley cuts off uh, the one guy's face and is running around in it. That's what it looked like. <laughs> it was nightmarish. Yeah. Um, the, the guy who did the, um, the prosthetics for, um, Oh, uh, the pig face people, uh, that episode, I have the beholder. He did this one as well. And he, he said that after it was all said and done, it's like, yeah, you'd like to get like another take at that. He's like, but we only had like a week of production. Like basically he was like, that's as good as we could do, you know? Yeah. And, and you could tell that, uh, Buzz Kulik was trying his damnness to try and uh, shoot around it and yeah. not show up much. Cause a lot of the people would walk by the camera fast or keep their heads kind of at an angle. Like no one would, was ever lingered on with the camera with the prosthetic yeah, so it was creepy um, like inadvertently creepy. it, it was because like the fact that they were only in the background with those masks made it even more distorted and terrifying looking yeah um so um uh, our, best uh, part of the episode inadvertently right so <laughs> shelly berman said that he he would never believe that those masks were actually based off of his face because they were like too terrifying because he's like they were that ugly he's like they can't be my face <laughs> so i appreciate that like the, that's he, the funniest thing he said yeah uh surrounding this episode yeah it's um, amazing and then also that whenever he's, he gets in the elevator he bumps into a woman it turns around it's him and drag um which is a funny little bit uh he actually was the one to mention that to Buzz Kulik and Rod Serling. He was like, I'll do all this other stuff. He's like, but you don't have a woman. And he's like, let, like, let me do that. And so he basically was like, this will be funny. And, and they loved it. And it's, it's not bad. Like, yeah, it's, it's probably the funniest part of this episode. Yeah. So credit um, to him. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. So as he gets into the office, you can hear everyone talking and complaining and they go one by one by each desk. And it's all him at different desks. And uh, everyone has a different complaint about what's going on, complaining about each other. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty much just the same thing over and over again. But finally, his reflection turns and asks him if he's had enough of it. And he's, he says, undeniably. <laughs> so he said, uh, I, I like his line. A lot of me is just as bad as a lot of them. And he ends up wishing it wishing it concentrating it back to the way it was and as soon as he concentrates henry pops up again and spills his coffee 
be all over him for the third time yeah. of this. It's the third or the fourth time in this episode. Third, uh, third, right? third. Yeah. 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 So Henry asks him about the book and he tells him like, no, I, I, I didn't really like it. It's, it's totally unbelievable. He's like, it's all pap. And, that's what he said. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so, and, and that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. He, he learned the lesson that, you know, that he hates people. He hates himself. But he'd rather have people than a bunch of himself. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I can. I kind of took it as you know. Obviously, it's a careful what you wish for yeah. story that we've seen a lot of. Um, but there are no stakes because you can just wish it back to normal at any time. Yeah. So that definitely <laughs> hurts this episode quite a bit. And then uh, you know, every, everyone loves to complain about other people, and everyone loves to pretend that they are special. That you know. At the end of the day, though, everyone is more alike than you would expect. Yeah, people are like all over. You're right. Yeah, there we go. I was getting there. (laughs) Um, So, again, similar themes and everything. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, it just really the thing that killed this episode is just the fact that what you what you know is happening is happening. There's no twist and there are no stakes. Yep. And it's frustrating. Yep. And uh, it's a misuse of power. <laughs> it is. Yeah. He didn't even go to Walmart. <laughs> like, because even what was it? Um, Oh, uh, a world of his own. Is that the uh, last one or a world of difference? That's it. The last episode of season one where you had the writer creating reality was yeah. much more, much more fun. And there yeah, were he brought an elephant in. Yeah. Right, that's awesome. And he made he made that's, Sterling that's himself something disappear. you should wish. Yeah, like I would totally wish an elephant into my office building if I was there, <laughs> and there was no more people, were no more people in the world. You know, like that. That's the kind of crazy stuff you need to do in an episode like this. Not make paper airplanes and wish for an earthquake. <laughs> I, it's just, yeah, it was it, not great, right? So no. Nah. Um. Yeah. So uh. Some some notes about the episode here. One. Uh, the cafeteria with its different vending machines. I just want to mention those because it was funny to me because it was like the worst cafeteria ever. It said hot food, pastry, coffee. Those are your three options. Hot food, pastry, and coffee. Um, that It's basically like an automat uh, setting where you just go and pay money and get food, right? I had way more interest reading the Wikipedia article about the history of automats than I did reading about anything about this episode. Oh, good. I'm glad we have something else to talk about. Yeah, I mean, not that I have much more <laughs> other than automats are kind of cool, I guess. It's like adult like vending machines. Not not adult as in like, you know, <laughs> but like you can go get a full meal and just like, and never have to make eye contact with anybody that, you know, you'd think Archibald would be all about that. Um, and they, they, he pulled out like a TV dinner. I don't know if you noticed, like they pulled the foil off the top of that. It was weird when they're eating. Um, yeah. But OK, so other notes here that are not automatic related. Um the 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 bathroom that was used in the office the office and the bathroom are the same set for mirror image uh so that the office was doubling uh, i guess as part of the bus station but that bathroom is the same the same bathroom that uh the actress saw herself running out of you know in the reflection so i thought it was interesting that kind of the same trick of having yourself react to yourself acting differently in a mirror you know was in, in this episode um also, this thing was originally it was based off of a Serling work that was on Studio One called "The Man Who Caught the Ball at Coogan's Bluff." Uh, it's it was all about uh, a guy That's who a title. It's a title, right? Uh, it's about a guy who had li- lived a humdrum humdrum life, you know, very very plain, very basic with his wife, and he went to a baseball game and caught a home run ball 
And then suddenly, like, the world opened up to him that he could go do whatever he wants. So he goes, like, you know, living the life, like, taking his wife out dancing, and she's kind of uncomfortable with his new kind of, like, living life self. And then, like, it all ends when he realizes that he's kind of, like, lying to himself and then goes back to living, like, a mundane life. I don't know what Sterling is trying to say, but that that also sounds sadder than this episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you can't go out and catch a fly ball or a home run ball and go live life to your fullest. Nope, you got to be responsible and go to work. I don't I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Um the only other note I have about the episode um uh, on on the positive side of this episode because I feel like I have been doing nothing but uh <laughs> piling on about how bad this episode is. I did kind of like there are a lot of parallels within the teleplay from the beginning to the end and everything. Obviously the coffee being spilled on him. I like the imagery being repeated of him going to the subway and then going back to the newsstand and just things kind of repeating themselves throughout the episode. Um, It reminded me of like something like Shaun of the Dead, where you get to see the same routine uh, multiple times throughout the story. Um, Definitely not as good as that, but I, I enjoyed it. I like that when his his idea of a world full of people that are going to be like him, that he subconsciously created everybody to look a little different. You know, like, like oh, that guy's a newspaper guy now. He has to have that hat. And that guy has to have a mustache. And yeah. that guy's a woman. You know, like, like it just, you know. It was just, it, <laughs> well, I was wondering if they were going to look like him or if everyone was just going to have his attitude. And uh, oh. they took the sight gag. See, so. yeah, I, that, that, yeah, I guess that, yeah, that, like everybody acting like him would have been funny, but I think that would have been a hard thing to get across in a hurry. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. It kind of reminded me of uh, the the Rick and Morty, like the the Citadel, with all the different Ricks and Mortys that you see from all different realities. I like all the Jerry's and daycare. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so kind of like that. So I kind of like there isn't there's some okay ideas in here. And and I and, and after now realizing that Shirley Berman would have been capable of carrying something much much bigger uh, and better, it, it just you're right. This is for an episode about wasted potential. This is this is wasted potential, you know. And that's it's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't really liked many of the comedic episodes, but I mean, even Shelley Berman in something like The Chaser, I think he would have pulled. Yeah, he yeah. would have been good. Like something a little bit more serious, um, something that didn't feel like a like I dream of genie, uh, like be real or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what this episode felt like. It did not feel like the Twilight Zone to me. I'm sure there was another Mr. Beavis episode where he wished everybody away and the angel let it happen. You know, <laughs> um, but so uh, I, yeah, I, I want to just recommend a film that kind of has the same idea. Uh, but pulled off much better. Uh, it's it's the film called Nothing. It's from 2003. Um, Vincenzo Natale, the guy who directed Cube and Splice. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of the Hannibal series. Oh, did he direct Great. some of that? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, a okay. lot of it. Cool. Um, fantastic visual stuff in that show. Because I've, um, I've seen his movies, and I've liked all of them. You know, Yeah, so. you, you would probably love his stuff in the Hannibal series. Nice. Um, really great. You've, well, of course you've seen Cube. I don't know if you've seen Splice at all um splice splice was interesting but I don't, I don't know if you see nothing nothing was his direct follow-up to cube so everybody was expecting like this kind of like mind-bending horror film and it's a comedy 
Um, <laughs> and uh, it has David Hewlett, which if you remember, he was just recently in The Shape of Water. He was the guy that, um, that uh, um, oh, what's his name? Zod yelled at to get out of his car. And he's like, but it's my car. He's like, just get out of the car. Uh, so that's David Hewlett. Um, and so it, it's, it's him and another guy and they're buddies and they're living in this house and like they've grown, like they're just best friends for life. And two separate sets of circumstances are kind of rushing to their door. Like they have reasons to not want to be outside and deal with society. And so they, they kind of hide away as everybody's like pounding down their door and they just wish away everybody. And then they walk outside of their house, and it's just nothing but white, like like almost like like cartoon, like just field of white, nothing, nothing at all. And so they just kind of deal with each other and realizing huh. that they hated away the world. And it's it's a funny movie. Nice. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. I'm gonna have to check that out. I was just looking at the screenshots of it. Yeah, that's just really just interesting. To, just to give away one of the one of the things that my favorite part, uh, well, not my favorite part, one of my favorite parts is that they have a drum set and the one of them is like playing it like, OK, and, um, and and the other one gets down to it and he's playing it terribly. And so the guy playing it kind of okay, he said, you know, I figured out that what was holding me back was my self-doubt. So I hated that away and now I can play the drums well. And then the one guy sits down and plays it badly. And he just smiles and keeps playing it badly. And it's like, well, what'd you do? He's like, I hated away the part of me that cared. And like, it didn't change his talent at all. He just like likes playing the drums. Like, so it's it's a funny movie. Um, so and it's a much better, I think, realization of the, of the power of thinking and uh, concentration and world building slash destroying than than this episode was. So that's my recommendation. Yeah, do the stakes get any higher than just uh, wishing it back to normal? Yeah, it gets. Um, okay, uh, yeah, good. <laughs> the, it gets. It, it almost veers off into straight horror, but doesn't do that. Like it's one of those things where you're like, "Wow, they're about to go someplace really dark," and it just kind of always keeps coming back to the sweet comedy. So, highly recommended. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. I'm, I'm a fan of the director. Yeah. So. All right. That, yeah, that's all I have for this. Let's like, I have the yeah. Twist my, my notes were so bare for this episode. <laughs> it was just, it was like, why go to work? Why an earthquake? Why <laughs> guns and Walmart? That's what I have sheet. here. Guns <laughs> and Walmart. No, I mean like, I would go play putt putt by myself. Like, there's so much I want to do. <laughs> like, I, no, like I, I agree. Like if if I had the ability to create reality as I see it and know that all these services would still function, like the the you know subways and electricity, yeah, I would yeah. be good. I would be good for a while, like until I got bored. You know, it'd yeah. be a long. Just time. go grab a few six packs and just go like, I don't, I don't know, take a driver to the putt putt range or something. Yeah. Like do anything. Like Any- I'm, for some reason, I'm just obsessed with destroying things. <laughs> but uh. <laughs> Yeah, I would just go draw mustaches and then be like, expect people to catch me. That's what I would do. Yeah. Anyway, let's 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 just for sake of continuity, let's read the twist. The twist is he realizes that he probably kind of needs people. I wrote one. Like I just great. Nothing. You're right. Nothing changed. He still did not like people, and it isn't like he grew at all. He just realized that was easier to function with other people that weren't him and that he would be bored without them. Yeah. Was it easier? Uh, Did he even realize that? Or did he just figure like, well, I just better put it back to normal. Cause he, like you said, he doesn't hate people any less. He just tolerates them. Yeah. So it just, he didn't learn anything 
Nothing, nothing happens. Can I give this twist a zero? You can. Let's give it a zero. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to give it a zero. Like the episode, it it goes by pretty quick. I'm, I'm not going to say that it dragged and that it was really painful to watch. It was more so just the logistics of everything and just I, I the teleplay is not that good. But I mean, between the direction and I guess uh, Shelley Berman's okay performance and everything in this it's it's not like unwatchable but as far as a twist goes or a character arc or anything like that that i usually try and stand up for as a twist i can't find anything that i would even call a twist in this episode so yeah Yeah. i think zero is appropriate i just i was just trying to i was trying to give yeah i mean if if i have to give it an actual number i'll (laughs) I'll give it a one but i just (laughs) <laughs> yeah just whatever man it's your reality you can just do what you want you want to give it a zero you give it a zero it's fine don't wish this rating away yeah that's what right. i'm gonna do yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna concentrate all right so yeah that's gonna do it for the mind of the matter uh kevin how can people get a hold of us oh man so many ways paul you can find <laughs> us on facebook instagram join the conversation on there you can email us at strange highways podcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail on there um you can Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Satchel, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. We are there, and it would really help us out if you would rate and review us on there. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. So, all right, next episode is uh, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? I don't think this is a serious one. Um, all right, I'm going to read <clears throat> read this description for Will the Re- Real Martian Please Stand Up. It's been said that singularity, the most difficult feature of all mankind, oh, sorry, the difficult feat of all mankind is to find a needle in a haystack. On the Twilight Zone next time, we do it one better. We pose a problem of finding a Martian in a snowbank. It all adds up to a kind of extraterrestrial who's who's who with a couple of laughs and more than a couple of tangents. We recommend this to the space buffs and the jigsaw puzzle addicts. Next time on the Twilight Zone, our story is called, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? Yep. All right. So yep, maybe this will be the best comedic episode yet. Maybe. Highly highly rated. Uh a pretty good cast. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it will be it will be the the best second to last episode of the season. I can t- I can tell you that. So <laughs> Hey, um, this was the best third to last episode <laughs> of the season, so Right. So, all right. So, yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, have, have a good week. If, if you're not having a good week, just concentrate really, really hard. And people will still be here because, you know, that's what's going to happen. And if you have that power, make something better happen than an earthquake or an electric storm. Yeah, just go to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm concentrating hard to get through this week. So, <laughs> so yeah, just remember, everybody, Walmart and guns. <laughs> See you guys. Give a personal observation, Beechcroft. You're not looking too well. All right, Mr. Rogers. You know, keeping yourself fit is not only a personal obligation, Beechcroft. Oh, no. In a larger sense, it's part of your responsibility to your job and to the firm that employs you. I'm not unaware of that, Mr. Rogers. Well, why don't you pull yourself together, man? Get some sleep at night. Eat regular meals. Lots of milk. Fresh vegetables. 
Greens. Oh, you can't beat those greens for vitamins. I'm a spinach and lettuce man myself. I'd even have them for breakfast if... Well, the people wouldn't look at me a little tilt. <laughs>